1: Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on 6.30 Chad.
2: Okay. Appreciate you tuning in tonight early in the third period. Ottawa leading Montreal 3-1. Capitals up 3-0 on the Rangers. A fight filled first period. Tom Wilson got in a fight. He got a misconduct and the Capitals say he's out for the rest of the game with an upper body injury. Lightning lead the Stars 3-1 with about 13 minutes left. Predators and Blue Jackets tied at 2 in the 3rd. Early in the 2nd period, St. Louis leading Anaheim 1-zip. After 1, Vegas and Mini, no score. Still to come tonight in about half an hour, the Jets and the Flames. Winnipeg has lost 7 straight. Avalanche and Sharks will play at 7.30. Kings and Coyotes coming up in an hour. Oilers tomorrow playing the Canucks again. 5.30 face-off show here on 6.30, Chet. And the game will start at seven okay yeah interesting night it's <laughs> some interesting discussion thanks to everybody who called in and texted about the uh tom wilson no suspension situation and on some of the shenanigans in the rangers and capitals game tonight uh, always happy to hear uh your opinions always appreciated when it's well thought out and always appreciate it too. If you just want to be a little humorous along the way, got some of that on the text line as well. I do appreciate it. Just want to quickly check in with the producer of the show, Dave Campbell, who was covering the uh, CFL draft last night to see what happened with the double E football team. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I am doing very well. Nice to talk to you. We got the Oilers bound for the postseason, and we got uh, hopefully here a build towards a CFL season after not having one last year and uh, the draft was yesterday and a young man we had on the show last week out of the U of a golden bears was snapped up in the first round by the double E
0: I'll tell you you know probably most of us heard Cole Nelson for the first time last week. And how could you not just be just, just in love with the story in love with the character, just a, a tremendous story uh, from Pinocchio, Alberta was picked, with the fifth overall pick by the Edmonton Football Team, defensive lineman, uh, very very big man, six foot six. But Brock Sunderland and the uh, head coach of the Double E, uh, Jamie Elizondo, said like the way he moves, it's unbelievable for a big man that is over three hundred pounds and six foot six. Tested very well at the combine, sub five seconds in the forty yard dash and in the shuttle, so he can he can definitely move out there. And uh, doesn't hurt that he had twenty five uh, reps on the bench press as well. So this pick, though, Reed, I think, is a little surprising. well, very surprising, considering he was a first-round pick at fifth overall. That's probably way higher than most people, I think, or or every person. I know I looked at a lot of projections, draft projections of of a lot of prospects. Cole Nelson was somewhere in uh, in a late second round to a fifth-round hole. So it was a little surprising that he went this high but it's a local pick, and I think it's someone that Brock Sunderland looks at and says, "I can bring, I can bring him in, in into camp right away." And I think that was a real priority for for Brock Sunderland uh, as far as this draft goes, as far as his philosophy is concerned.
2: Yeah, well, a weird year because some players had seasons, some players didn't. Some players who did have seasons didn't have full seasons, so a little harder to scout guys. Well, what about the uh, what about the rest of the double E draft here?
0: Well, I think the theme was, uh, was size and, you know, Brock Sunderland said last night, this is a big man's game. And, and you look at Brant McDonald, who was a tremendous pick, I think, from the university of Calgary with the second round pick six, three, uh, 200 and about 30 pounds actually went to Maine and played tight end. Then was converted to linebacker at the university of Calgary. He can hit and he, when he hits, you, you know, he's there and someone that I think can uh, definitely help in special teams and they h- helps the depth with the team's linebacking core, which was a little thin. Uh, Dominic Johnson out of the University of Buffalo, a quarterback deter- uh, turned a receiver, he was drafted in the fourth round. Uh, not a lot of receiver stats, but uh, athletic freak walk-, a walk on for the uh, basketball program at the University of Buffalo. And he actually played in division one. Uh, Peter Cordes, offensive lineman, St. Mary's uh, University, uh he is a 6.50 lineman and someone that is uh, considered a, a pretty decent prospect and someone that really uh impressed a lot of people at st mary's and throughout youth sports keenan clark cornell university defensive back in the sixth round uh 511 defensive back who uh, will probably help on special teams i think the sleeper pick could be deontay glover from shepherd university running back uh 511 over 200 pounds uh went to west virginia he was a late uh, addition to the draft class he ha- he qualifies as a as a canadian because his mother has canadian citizens, uh, citizenship and glover spent five years living in canada and it's one of those unique spots reed where he's actually an american but has a canadian designation and i think you might see him factor in this 2021 season i don't know if he'll be uh how many reps he'll get at running back for example but it's an option that i think is available for jamie elizondo if he wants to go that route
2: dave sherwood parks chuba hubbard was taken by carolina in the nfl draft but that didn't stop him being picked yesterday
0: yeah he was picked uh, in the fifth round by the calgary Peter. so john Huffnagel uh, snaps up uh the sherwood park kid uh, who had a very nice tweet saying, uh, you know, always wanted to play in the CFL, but I think i will be a little busy uh, being in blue for the next uh, few years. And he was drafted, of course, by the Carolina Panthers in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Uh, you know, Rock Sunderland said if he maybe fell to the sixth round, might have picked him. But I never got the sense at all, Reed, that Rock Sunderland was interested in a futures pick because I think he wants as many bodies in camp as he's allowed. And uh, you can double cohort uh, the 2020 and the 2021 draft class. Now, some teams might not want to do that because of their salary situation. And, of course, we know that every team is uh, cutting salary and and going towards the cap floor uh, instead of the cap ceiling. But Brock Sunderland wants to bring in as many of the class from the last two years as he can. So I don't think a future pick. was something that was interested. Uh, he was interested in. There's no question that if you draft a Chuba Hubbard, it's 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 a cool story. It uh, gives you some hype, but I don't think long term it does much for you. If he possibly doesn't play here, he could be downing the NFL for, you know, maybe three, four years, maybe longer. Maybe he's there for a 10-year career. Who knows? So I think it's just representative of the philosophy of Rock Sunderland that he just didn't want to pick a player that he he thought that he would, wouldn't see for a long, long time or ever.
2: All right. Well, we appreciate the update, Dave. Uh, you know, hopefully we keep getting more news with the schedule and, uh, you know, our team still needs a new name and all that fun stuff. But appreciate the update on the draft,
0: buddy. You betcha. Anytime, Reid.
2: All right. That's Dave Campbell checking in on what the double football team did. And, yes, sure Park's Chuba Hubbard did get picked by the Stamps, but obviously he has a great shot here to play in the National Football League. Ottawa just scored again five minutes now into the third. Senators leading the Canadians. 4 1 as uh, Montreal. Well, worst case scenario, they'll be. No, worst case scenario, the Jets would move ahead of them. Worst case scenario for the Jets, even if they lose again, (laughs) they would stay tied for third as uh, they have a game coming up against the Calgary Flames. Winnipeg trying to snap a seven game losing streak. All right, we got an incredible story and an incredible storyteller coming up. His name is Sean Pete. He's currently the pit crew coach. for Chip Ganassi Racing in NASCAR. He was born in Edmonton. He played junior hockey. He played minor pro, and that took him into NASCAR. He's got the full story. It is a good one coming up.
0: It's tough. Everyone kind of wants to play, but uh, you really have to take advantage of uh, what's given to you. And that was, uh, you know, a lot of practice time for me and a lot of time to uh, work on what I wanted to work on, you know, uh, specifically my skating and stuff like that. So I think it was uh, good to take uh, advantage of that.
2: Pass over to Nurse. Down the left wing, gives it to Bouchard. He'll walk right in. He'll wait. He'll shoot. Score! Evan
1: Bouchard let it go from the point. He got it past Demko, and the Oilers are up three to one. Well, Bouchard can shoot the puck. There's no question about
0: it. Uh, yeah, it was a great opportunity for me to, uh, you know, kind of get through the the systems and uh, everything like that. And I think uh, you know I, I could add that part to uh, to my game. So they get the uh, chance to play uh, on the penalty kill was uh, you know was important for me, and it was uh, you know. I was happy to get some time there.
2: Yeah, we're trying to get, uh, you know, as many guys in, just get them some time. I thought Bouchard was
0: excellent, played very well, for a guy that hasn't played for a while. Legison came in, played a real solid game. Tourists uh, put a lot of work in, solid outing by a lot of guys.
2: Yeah, that's Dave Tippett after last night's game, and you also heard from Evan Bouchard. Finally in there, first time since March 1st, got a goal, played over 20 minutes, looked pretty comfortable. The Oilers, assuming everybody is healthy, you know, Chris Russell is currently day-to-day. Slater Cuckoo has been skating and practicing but hasn't yet been cleared to play. But if they're all healthy, the Oilers could have 10 at least competent defensemen going into the playoffs. Uh, uh, that's it's pretty good. I mean, some guys are better than others. Some guys are more experienced than others, but at least players who have played and have NHL games under their belts. So that's pretty encouraging. All right, we got an incredible story for you here. Former junior hockey player. He's now the pit crew coach with Chip Ganassi Racing in NASCAR. Please welcome to Inside Sports, Sean Pete. Sean, how are you doing? I'm good, Reed. Thanks for having me, man. Well, this is awesome to have you on the show. I got to thank Cam Moon for, well, Cam didn't just plant the seed of an idea for having you on the show. Like he planted it and then uh, constantly watered it and uh, got one of those uv lights to shine on it and constantly reminded me that i gotta have you on so uh, i i'm excited to talk because to you, you do have really uh, a remarkable story I've, i'm going to start with your current title you're the uh, pit crew coach for chip ganassi racing but let's not start there let's tease people with that you were born here right you were born in little old edmonton proud proud canadian
1: proud Albertan. yeah born in uh, edmonton alberta canada um yeah that's where i started things off and uh, i still have extended family there um and my parents met at a bowling alley in edmonton if you can believe that
2: oh, do, you remember, <laughs> do, do you know which one <laughs> i don't i don't well this is uh, the bowling alley romance well that's a good way to start <laughs> That's good to do that. So okay, so you're uh, so so you're born in the mid '70s. So you're growing up in Edmonton during an interesting time to be a, a hockey fan. Then what what was that experience like for you?
1: Well, it was really I, we were. Uh, I was very young when my parents, uh, you know, started here, moved out to Vancouver Island. So that my a lot of my experiences that I can recall were being um Amazon Oilers fans amidst all these rabid Vancouver Canuck fans and it was never uh it was never an easy thing as a kid in school you know everyone's got Canuck stuff on you have an Oilers shirt on but uh
2: you know I think maybe that led to me toughening up early a little bit well the Oilers uh often got the better of the Canucks as I'm sure you reminded your friends often yes (laughs) yes you're correct and was hockey everything to you as a kid playing watching or were you into other stuff
1: Yeah, no, Reed, I wasn't. Um, I was a late starter. My brother and I probably didn't start till we were, gosh, eight or nine, maybe even 10 years old. Um, You know, we just, uh, you know, hardworking family and just the opportunity wasn't there to play. And then we, we, you know, finally got the opportunity. I remember my parents thought, uh, okay, we should get these kids into hockey school never haven't been hockey parents before. So we go to Lake Cowichan and they didn't realize you had to sharpen your skates before you, like basically we just took them out of the box, stepped on the ice. So my first my first stride on hockey skates, I went right to, to my face. So it probably was an, uh, an
2: omen of how bad a skater I was gonna be my whole career, so. Well, you had a pretty good career because uh, what it really stepped up for you when you started playing junior. Would you say when you or, or when did things start to click for you?
1: Yeah, you know, being from the NIMO, I got an opportunity to play in the British Columbia League for the NIMO Clippers, uh, which was a, a dream opportunity for myself. Uh, never, you know, I was never a kid that made BC's best ever or the All Star team, or I, I just wasn't one of those kids, and. Uh, to make it onto that junior team and then parlay that into a uh, you know an opportunity down at, at a u.s college um that was a success for me uh, because it just seemed out of the realm of possibility when i was coming through minor hockey
2: where'd, where'd you end up going to college tell everybody about that story
1: i played uh, played four years at dartmouth uh in the ivy league uh was recruited as a forward uh, they switched me to a defenseman my first shift at defense my sophomore year um, we were playing university of vermont and we step on the ice, it's four minutes into the first period. And the forward line that is against my defense partner and myself is made up of Martin St. Louis, Eric Perrin, and the winger that played with them. Reed, needless
2: to say, it went
1: horribly wrong uh shortly after the puck was dropped.
2: <laughs> okay, that's that's quite a that's quite a start. How was the yeah, how was the hockey culture there in the Ivy League and going to Dartmouth? Like, was the team uh, important? Was it not yes. as watched as some of the other teams?
1: Yeah, I mean, we were the, you know, we were a D1 program. So it was, uh, it was a big deal on campus. Um, we were not a good hockey program. You know, in four years, I think we played one wildcard playoff game. And so, you know, when you're losing at that type of volume, you know, the people don't just show up. They were packed Um, because St. Louis and all those guys were in um, at Vermont. Every time we played Vermont, our building was packed, Um, but they were all chanting UVM when we came out. So that was uh, not a good thing. So it was um, college hockey was really interesting and and I'm thankful for it, but it was um, it's certainly difficult. You know, I tell people now, if if you're going to play college hockey, you better love the game of hockey because between studying and film and
2: lifting weights, um, it requires all of you. So Sean, you made an interesting decision. At least I think you did because I've talked to a lot of players over the years, as I'm sure you can imagine. And sometimes when they reach the end of that NCAA or U sports career, I mean there's there's the fork in the road and and you know maybe you're not going to make the NHL or it might be a real long shot and you you've got a degree or it might be close to getting one so what do you do and, and and you made the decision to keep to to play pro hockey and it took you a few different places it, so what led you to stick with hockey when you were done with Dartmouth?
1: You know, you know, one of the interesting things I found down there, Reed, is, is Dartmouth is, I think, was the sixth best school in the country uh, and a very expensive place to go to school. And when I arrived there, there was a level of affluence that I have never seen before. Um, I have really great parents, um, but we grew up, you know, west coast of Vancouver Island, middle, lower socioeconomic class, but we had a richness of life. And when I went to Dartmouth, You know, there were kids there that had all these things that we are told that we're supposed to want in life. Land Rovers, fancy clothes, you know, expensive shoes. But a lot of them were inherently miserable or had awful relationships with their parents. And what that did is it allowed me to kind of look behind the curtain and the myth that that, that we hold money in such high esteem. And when I saw that, I I made up my mind. I was like, I'm going to chase joy. And you know Dartmouth's a big corporate banking school, so I could have gone to Wall Street. Instead, I was like, you know what? I'm
2: going to go play in the Texas League for 300 bucks a week. That's awesome. Well, and that's quite a mature realization for you to have in your early 20s. Not a lot, a lot, a lot of people would would realize that and then commit to it.
1: Yeah, I just think it was so in your face, and I just I remember being so struck by it. Like it it, honestly, my senior year, it wasn't even a decision. The only thing I was worried about was I like I didn't even know if I'd be able to make a pro team was the thing. So if, if I didn't, I was going to go back to Nanaimo, figure it out. But uh, I knew what I wasn't going to do, and that was
2: spend 80 hours at a job that I hate. Well, that's a good way to put it, Sean. Sean Pete joining us at Inside Sports. More with him. He's uh, telling me about his journey from Edmonton through junior hockey to minor pro. He's got some... Awesome stories about playing minor pro hockey and then how do you go from a hockey career to working in a NASCAR pit crew? That's what happened to Sean. He's coming at you with some more after the seven thirty news and weather. Inside sports on chet. <laughs> this. It's now 5-1. The Senators leading the Canadians with four minutes left in the third period. Capitals up 3-1 on the Rangers with five minutes to go in that game as uh, things sort of settle down after a crazy start. Six fights in the first five minutes of the game. Bushnevich cross-checked to the face on Anthony Mantha. He'll probably get suspended for that one. Tom Wilson was in a fight, got a misconduct, and uh, the Capitals say he didn't return to the game because of an upper body injury. Very eventful night between the Capitals and the Rangers. And of course, the uh, Rangers also fire their president and GM today. The Lightning beat the Stars 6 2. Blue Jackets knock off the Predators 4 2. Ducks and Blues 1 1 late in the second period. Golden Knights lead the Wild one nothing with about seven minutes left in the second period. Jets and Flames about to get underway. Canada won eight one over Sweden at the under eighteen Worlds in the semifinal. Connor Bedard had a hat trick there. Russia or Finland now on the ice in the other semifinal, and the Oilers will play Vancouver tomorrow. It's on six thirty. Chad with the faceoff show at five thirty. The game will start at seven. Okay, we're going to continue our chat here with Sean Pete, who's taking you through being born in Edmonton, uh, moving to the West Coast, playing in the BCJHL, playing for Dartmouth in the NCAA, and then pursuing a minor pro career. Sean, so you played minor pro in a lot of places, and I'm wondering, did you ever start to get that question, okay, is this worth it to keep going?
1: Yeah, I think you know we all have uh, some of those um, <laughs> what-am-I-doing moments. I mean, I think probably the biggest one for me I played my first year in Texas, and I thought it went really well. And I could have gone back there and been, you know, really well established in the lineup and the community, but I knew I wanted to take a shot at the National Hockey League. So I went out, and I searched for the toughest coach to play for in the country at that time. And at that time, that person was John Brophy, and he was the coach in Hampton Roads, right? You know, Everyone knows John Brophy, correct? Yeah. So I call, uh, I call up the GM out there, and, you know, I said, hey, I played in Texas. I'd like to try out. And they they thought so little of me. They're like, sure, if you can get here, you can try out. So I paid paid my own plane ticket, and I go to what was undeniably the most difficult training camp I've ever been through. Read it was three a days, like it was insane. And and what was interesting is they only needed six six guys. Right? They had fourteen returning players. Uh, they were affiliated with the Blackhawks, so I knew it was gonna be tough to make the lineup. So I get through this grueling camp, and I make the lineup for the last two exhibition games, which is a home-and-home home against Richmond. So we go up to Richmond, and uh, at that time, I mean, they were super tough. They had, like, 14 Vandermeer brothers on the team. They had, uh, you know, they had Trevor Sin, they had Steve Demonsky. So so we're not going to run these guys out of the building, regardless of what Brophy thinks. So we go up there. Uh, I get in a fight in the second period, uh, fought the guy to a draw, which if any hockey fighter ever tells you they fought someone to a draw, they lost. Um, but I was the only fight of the game. We lose five, one and Brophy is furious. So we all get on the bus and not a word is said all four hours back to Hampton roads. Um, so they post Saturday night's lineup and I make that lineup. So in my head, I'm like, I got a chance here. So we, we play Richmond again at home and we end up losing three, one, I get an assist and I'm plus one for the game. So I'm coming off the ice. And all the guys that have already made the team are in suits in the locker room. And everyone just played. is just like, you know, trying to catch their breast and then their stalls. And Brophy comes in. And he's beet red with that white hair. And he comes into the room and he's like, where is number 20? And I was number 20. And I so I was like, I just kind of raised my hand. I didn't know what to do. So I raised my hand. And he looks at me and Reedy's he's like, take your effing skates off. So I'm like, I, don't, I wonder what this is about. So I start untying my skates. And I hand them to him, and he snatches them out of my hands, and there's a garbage can in the middle of the room. And he throws them in the garbage can and turns around and says, you don't effing deserve to play hockey. And at that time, Reed, like, I had so much cognitive dissonance, I didn't, I think I blacked out. Like, I don't, and he just started screaming at me. So anyways, when that was over, um, they were making cuts the next day, and we had to be at the rink at 8 a.m. So I get there at 6.30, and sure enough, there's, you know, 10 garbage bags against the boards and number 20 is on one of them so I'm like oh great so they start calling players in and I was the first person there they called everyone in and it was a five minute meeting and they cut him and let him go and they saved me to last and I went up there and for 35 minutes I had profi and the GM basically just emasculate me and tell me I was soft and I didn't like the rough going. And I was like, every, every adjective you could add to make, like to take a shot at someone's manhood, they told me. So I'm still in disbelief. So I go back to my hotel room and in the East coast league, when you get cut, they put you on waivers. And so I have all these coaches all over the country calling me and every one of them is saying, Hey, we like your size, but we heard you're soft. Uh, we like your size, but you don't like to rub stuff. <laughs> so, Reed, I'm losing my mind. And the next guy that calls is Rick Aduno, the head coach from South Carolina. And I was like, Coach, before you start with me, I just need to know who is their biggest rival. And he said, we are. And I said, you know what? I don't care what you're going to pay me. Um, I'm coming. Which is a terrible business move, right? Because I think they paid me 300 bucks. They thought enough of me that they bought me a bus ticket. So it's been a long night. I didn't sleep. I get my gear, get my bus ticket, and I board the Greyhound. And the last thing I do before I board that Greyhound is I buy a newspaper. So it's about a four-hour trip. Um, I fall asleep for the first two hours. Midway through, I'm like, okay, this is a new opportunity. Let's go. Let's shake this off. Let's go. And I decide to read the paper. And so I open up the paper, and in it, it says, Admirals make cuts. And a third of the way down the article – John Brophy is quoted as saying, "The biggest disappointment in camp was Dartmouth defenseman Sean Pete. He came to camp looking like Captain America and played like Miss America." <laughs> Reed, I was going to, wow. I was going to fight everyone on the bus, man. It was, it was, it was brutal. It
2: was brutal. Oh my, what a tale! What a uh, well. Those who remember John Brophy are probably shaking their heads, though. Sean Pete joining us on Inside Sports with some. Uh, Tales of minor league hockey. Okay, now is there not something about that you were part of? I, I, you know, you'll correct me if I'm uh, guilty of hyperbole here, but the largest line brawl in minor pro hockey history—one of the largest—what happened? <laughs> at the time it was
1: categorized as the worst brawl in East Coast League history and it's okay. um for the longest time it was the first thing that came up on a Google search when people would search me so it, it it was never a good conversation starter for me and not a not a record my parents are super proud of but yeah i um you know i i was lucky enough to make it all the way up to the American League and i was sent down to Greensboro North Carolina the next season um and it was opening night and it was kind of a perfect storm because you know, i had played against a, this guy in college hockey and in college hockey, you're all wearing full cages. So you can spear guys and be dirty and run your mouth and yet be held to no account. So there's one of those guys playing on that team. I've been demoted and this guy cross checks a, a guy on our team right before the second period. And our coach is losing his mind. And he's like, is someone gonna do something? So I was like, yep, I'll solve it. And I jumped over the boards and I lined up with this guy. And said, hey, we you know when the puck drops, we're gonna go. So the puck drops, I grab him, start hitting him in a five on five brawl breaks out. And he goes to the ground and I'm not gonna hit him anymore because you know I go by the gentleman's rules, um, which will quickly go out the window here. And I turn over my shoulder and they had a, a kid who ended up being a heavyweight for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, Ryan Flynn, I believe his name was. And I look over and he's pounding our guy. So I look at my guy and I'm like, let me go. And he, and he just lets me go and I take two strides and wind up and hit Flynn as hard as I possibly can. And he goes to the ice, and there's, there's the gentleman's rules for you, right? Uh, not something I'm super proud of, but anyways, the guy I originally was fighting tackles me. But the problem was when he tackled me, he ended up on the bottom of the pile. So like, you know when you pull your lawnmower out in the spring when it hasn't been fired up since the fall and you just keep pulling the, you just keep pulling. The, <laughs> read it was like that, man. And, and I just, it was all this frustration. I just poured out on this poor kid. Uh, I think I cut him for 68 stitches, and then I was I was leaving the ice, and I saw someone challenging our bench. So I stripped all my gear off, got away from the linesmen, and almost got to this guy, and and I they intercepted me, and we were playing him the next night. So I just ran my thumb across my stro- my throat and said, "Hey, I'll see you tomorrow night." Um, I thought nothing of it, Reed, until I was leaving the ice, and our team idiot had already been kicked out of the game. And when I came through the doors, like the look on his face, he's like, dude, you're in serious trouble. And sure enough, I got, uh, I got six games for starting it. I got six games for joining the second altercation. And I got six games for making a throat
2: slashing gesture. A oh, quarter, of the season, <laughs> quarter of the season. Jeez. go. Yeah. that is, uh, that's an epic story. Thank you for sharing that. I, I do appreciate that as we uh, get some great tales from Sean Pete tonight on Inside Sports. Okay um i gotta i gotta transition then because okay so you stop playing hockey a lot of guys stay in sports most hockey yeah. players stay in hockey i have never heard of the transition from hockey to nascar so how the heck does that possibly happen so that's a, that brawl
1: was on a friday night okay we played the next night we played saturday night and so i'm sitting up the first game of my suspension And there's a lady in the stands, and her husband was racing, and he's a big fan of the the tough guys. And and she basically called him and was like, wait till you get a load of this guy. And so I meet this guy in the stands Saturday night. And, you know, we start talking, and and I'm like, yeah, my dad has a garage on Vancouver Island. And he said, okay, well, when your dad comes down to visit, I'll take him on a tour of one of the race shops because he worked for Bill Davis Racing at the time. So fast forward two months, and my dad comes down, and... Sure enough, this guy takes us on a tour of Bill Davis Racing. And this was back when mechanics were pitting the car. So pit stops were a lot slower. And practice was going terrible. So the guy showing me around, he's like, hey, this is Sean. He plays for the Greensboro Generals. The crew chief says, hey, get the hockey player in here. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just showing my dad around. And he was insistent. So they showed me how to do it. And I went, and I was as fast as a guy that had been doing it the last five years. And they're like, you should do this. And I thought they were kidding around. So I ended up going out playing hockey in uh, Albuquerque my last year. And uh, I get a phone call out of the blue. And they're like, no, we're serious. We want you to do this. So when I got, I came back to North Carolina, it took me six weeks. And I was pitting, pitting race cars. And I laughed and, oh, I laughingly <laughs> tell people I tried for 26 years to get to the National Hockey League. I made it to NASCAR in six weeks. That's incredible. Right. So and now, and now your title is pit crew coach. Pit crew coach. Yeah. So I started as a, a Jack man. So my job was, uh, basically the race car comes in, uh, you have to jump in front of it. And when it comes skidding to a stop, you have to lift a 3,500 pound race car with one stroke of the Jack. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's it, what's so interesting is I had no idea what NASCAR was. I, right. you know, it's not something that was even on my radar. Um, but it still allowed me to be part of a team. It still allowed me this adrenaline rush. Like, you go over the wall. You know, people ask all the time, what's it like to be a pit crew member? Um, pit road speed limit is 55 miles an hour. And these cars are inches off your heels. If you want to know what it's like, go out to the to the Trans-Canada Highway, put your heels on the white line away and let traffic blow by you, behind you. And if that doesn't unnerve you, you have what it takes to be a pit crew person. That's
2: amazing. Okay, so... Uh, were You You were in Talladega Nights, Mooder said? I was in Talladega Nights, uh, that is true. And so, what did you do, and who did you meet? Uh, so I was part of
1: uh, Will Ferrell's pit crew, and, and what happened was we were out at pit practice one day, and they asked us all to come in there. And sure enough, this big congregation of people comes out of the building and, with cameras and all sorts of stuff, and they want headshots from all of us. And they're gonna choose, they're gonna select five people for this movie. Well, they get headshots now imagine this i just came off a minor league career eight year minor league career where i had what eight goals in a thousand minutes i have like four teeth in my mouth and i have all these hollywood people looking for nascar people who do you think's gonna get picked so i got picked because i looked like a like a
2: caveman <laughs> uh did, now was there i mean did you get to talk to any of the stars or was oh, it just absolutely. like stay we, away from them or
1: no, no it was great we um they shot a lot of that at chip ganassi racing and we we embedded with them for about a month and a half so we were uh we were with will Farrell and all those guys uh, will ferrell it, you know i told mooner is just is one of the best people i've ever met like so you know so humble and like you know, would eat lunch with us and talk to us and ask us about racing. And just a just a cool guy, it, just a really cool guy. And just, it was interesting. You know, we would get the, to the set at 6 AM. They would rush us into our fire suits. And by 9 at night, they'd be like, oh, shoot, we didn't need you guys. You can go home. So like a month and a half of that was, well, uh, you know, we learned how to square dance with Will Ferrell. And, you know, we were in Talladega shooting scenes down there. And uh, um, yeah, it's funny because it's not something I bring up very often. I I never bring it up so uh but it was it was a cool experience
2: well this has been a cool experience talking to you uh you've been incredibly generous with your time yet i feel like uh i I would like more uh but i'm gonna i'm gonna throw one more at you because you are in the world of nascar sure and it's not something that I, i talk about well practically uh ever on this show um so what's the biggest misconception that people have about nascar or the thing that you hear the most of and you're like? quit saying that well i i think there's still a misconception that you know all the guys
1: pitting the race cars um are, are the guys that took shop class in high school and and nothing could be further from the truth right if you look at my roster you know as we built chip ganassi racing i have a linebacker from the pittsburgh steelers I have a linebacker from the redskins i have a linebacker from uh that led Clemson and tackles two years in a row, and was the kid that Dabo Sweeney built the Clemson college football program around. I'm an Olympic swimmer. I'm an All-American baseball player. So the, I've had two United States Navy Seals. So the the athletic acumen of these guys continues to ratchet up. Um, and you know, when I got in, a fast pit stop was 16.5. Right? We can change four tires and put 18 gallons of fuel in a race car now in 10 seconds right we laughingly refer to ourselves as the department of unrealistic expectations because we're expected to do that every single time (laughs) and you got a book out too right yeah we um we uh had an opportunity to speak at the nfl combine a couple years ago and uh i think anytime you do anything in life uh it's just your work and so we go up there and present and uh we thought it went terrible but a bunch of people stuck around and asked us questions and we're leaving the conference hall and this guy tracks us down. He's like, fellas, I took more notes in your 30 minutes than I have the first two days of this conference. And we get into this great talk, and I'm like, hey, man, who are you with? He said, I'm with the New England Patriots. And right then, we were like, you know what? We need to put this, we need to put this down. So the book's <laughs> called 12-Second Culture. It's basically how we went into Chip Ganassi Racing, and we took two pit crews that were outside the top 30. And without resources, without facilities, uh, we built them into the first and third best teams in NASCAR. And it was all based on culture. And it's all based on caring about people.
2: Sean, this was this was such a pleasure. We're going to have to try to catch up again. Thanks for telling your story. And uh, I, I know you're an incredibly busy guy, but I will say this. I hope you have time to watch some more of those playoff games.
1: Okay. Can't wait. Hey, I was, I was one of the Oilers fans at game seven when they uh, played Carolina here. So I was cheering my head off when that, when that happened. So um,
2: best of luck to those guys in the playoffs. Right on. That is Sean Pete. My goodness. Amazing. What a tale. What a tale that uh, that had me smiling and laughing numerous times. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. So Sean Pete is his name. S-H-A-U-N-P-E-E-T, if you want to look them up, from uh, junior hockey to minor pro to working in NASCAR. It's Inside Sports on Chet. All right, that was Sean Keats. That, that interview was just a blast. What an incredible storyteller. And I think he just scratched the surface, but pretty good tales of his journey through minor pro, pro hockey and now working as a NASCAR pit crew coach. That's awesome. Born in Edmonton. Okay, the Jets have jumped out to a one nothing lead on the Flames. Lowry scored. It's about halfway through the first period now. And the Senators shoot down the Canadians 5-1. So if the Jets get a point or two tonight they move back into sole possession of third ahead of the Canadians. A fight-filled game, Capitals and Rangers. The Capitals wound up winning at 4-2. TJ Oshie, whose uh, father recently passed away, had a hat trick. 5.30 face-off show tomorrow, game at 7. Oilers and Canucks here on 6.30, Chet. Of course, Bob Stoffer will have Oilers now from noon to 2. Thanks to Cam Moon, who's going to have the play-by-play tomorrow for connecting me with Sean Pete for that interview. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. The studio producer this evening... Kellen Kennedy. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.